I was going to bring up Peter Beinart. Yeah. The, the art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this leads into the quote, give uh, Kamala Harris a break. Um, I always want to say Kamala, but Kamala Harris, give Kamala Harris a break. Right. Adorable. I, I love, I love the need for elites who have more wealth and power than like 99 point something percent of the world. They're the ones that are the victims that really need to, to be given a break, especially when they've been nominated to the second highest position um, to contest for the second highest position of power in the world, which would then be possibly waiting in arms or president in waiting. Right. So, so give Kamala Harris a break. And, uh, it's a remarkable piece. One of the dumbest things I've ever read. I have to say, <laughs> uh, just just like flat out one of the because it, it, it argues it, its argument essentially is that um, yes, maybe first of all, it says that she was chosen because of the George Floyd BLM protests. Uh, which which might be true in a weird sense that we could get into. Uh, but Beinart writes that uh, the, the pressure on Biden to choose a black woman as, as, as his running mate really, really kind of escalated after these protests. Um, and basically he couples that with the idea that, well, to be a serious VP, you basically have to be a governor or a senator. And she was the only black woman that was one of those. Ipso facto QED, boom. Uh, oh, it seems like she does have kind of a iffy record, though, <laughs> when it comes to police violence and police state uh, and carceral state issues. But Beinart basically says, you know what, though? You can't blame an ambitious black woman for being terrible because that's what she had to do. She had to go with the flow. She, she, she was, quote, too deferential to the police, maybe. But that's the way American politics actually works. Black women who want a career in national politics cannot do anything other than what she did. So <laughs> maybe we can start talking about how, how that is uh, as ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would agree with him in one sense, in the sense that what Kamala Harris has a record of going along to get along, um, and that she was in mass incarceration, uh, you know, um, throw lock them up and throw away the key politician through, you know, 2012, 2013, and has since sort of pivoted somewhat away from that in terms of her rhetoric, at least. Uh, what I disagree with is that it is necessary for a, a, you know, a black politician or a black female politician to do that, to have any kind of uh, national career. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could point to the example of, let's say, you know, Barbara Lee, who famously was the only a uh, member of Congress who voted against the uh, war in Afghanistan. Um, or, you know, Shirley Chisholm, prominent, uh, you know, prominent politician uh, in the 70s um, who, you know, was not was not a war on crime politician. And I guess, you know, the thing about you could say in the case of Barbara Lee that, uh, you know, she paid a pretty heavy price for that vote against the Afghanistan war. Of course, that was a very radical you know, in, in in American politics, that was a very a very courageous vote to take. Um, whereas, you know, yeah, not even not even Bernie, not even Bernie took. Not that. even Bernie, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think you know what you can what you can point to, to to Kamala Harris is say like, okay, maybe it would have been swimming against the tide 
to a pretty significant degree in like 1992 to be a sort of anti-war on crime politician as Bernie was. And maybe it is a little bit harder for black politicians to make that leap, though, on the other hand, you know, uh, a lot of black leaders were criticizing, you know, war on crime, uh, you know, the racist aspects of it, especially, you know, the crack cocaine disparity. You you, you heard stuff like that from uh, John Lewis and um, other, you know, other black leaders. Um, I, I What I would say is that um, by 2011, when, uh, you know, Kamala Harris was attorney general up through 2013, 2014, there was not a whole, like, big popular back, like, backing towards war on crime stuff. If she had chosen to be, like... Okay, you know, like like just to go up to Jerry Brown and say, listen, the Supreme Court's doing this. We got to cut this out. We got to cut this out. This is bad. You know, we, we got to l- release a lot of there's way too many people in prison. <laughs> would she have paid a political price? No, she would have looked like a visionary. She would have looked like a leader. She would have a leader. gotten ahead of the curve. And I think that's the that's the big takeaway from this entire history here. Harris is not, she's someone, a follower of trends, not someone who perceives where the wind is going to blow and, and yes. gets out ahead of it. Um, I think that, that, that'll be really key when we get into whether she could be FDR, I think, obviously, right? But, <laughs> but it's, not like, it's not like she was a voice in the wilderness if she had done this. It, it was the Supreme Court of California that she would be siding with. No, right? it's like the a Supreme major, Court of the United of, States. Of the United States, sorry, of the, of the United States. That, so uh, the major court in the country that she would have to simply like agree with to be a leader. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, hardly... And we can get to if or you know secondary point, should we be really trusting in politicians or um kind of making heroes out of politicians who are clearly simply out for their own political gain and and are just kind of like taking the wind even if they don't do that very well versus leaders who kind of shape public opinion and have the same like Bernie had the same message, you know white old guy, right. But same message repeated over and over and over again because he has something called principles that he that he tries to fight for, right? Um, but uh, but but to your point, it's incredible that she was a force against change, not just that she wouldn't be a proponent for change. She was fighting against political action that was trying to do really meager things. Right. And she even yeah. said that she was a, right. Like just modest, modest reforms. So, so she, even though she espoused say being against the death penalty, she fought in her position against, right. A court ruling of unconstitutionality for the death penalty in a particular case. Right. So, so like her whole track record, um, coupled with, you know, videos of her kind of mocking criminal justice reform people, uh, and her record as prosecutor of like, criminalizing the parents of truant kids, right. In order to get the kids to, to, to go to school more, just like creates not simply a politician who's ambitious and is seeing where the wind is going, but somebody who, if she has principles seem to be reactionary principles. Yeah. Yeah. She, she does not. Um, and yeah. And in so far as you can, see the the what she really believes in it, it's it it doesn't evince any sort of like actual sympathy with um you know the 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 victims of the carceral state 
You know, I mean, this is somebody who has had up close and personal experience with, you know, the the incarceration machine in California where it was at its worst, um, you know, in the in the uh, 2000s and early 2010s. Um, you know, you're just, you're you're just talking about people committing suicide and, and people being stuffed in solitary confinement for 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 just like weeks. Um, you know what? Like, just imagine being on the wrong side, like the Supreme Court of the United States saying, "Oh Jesus, this is really messed up, man! <laughs> like, what are you doing over there?" <laughs> we're not we're, we're not talking about the Warren Court either. You know? What no, I mean? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. The the Supreme Court, you know, in back to its historical, you know, uh, average of being incredibly reactionary and, you know, basically in the pocket of big business. Um, still, in that case, looking at like, well, I mean, if you built a prison to hold this X number of people and there are two times X number actually inside it, that that's kind of weird, man. Like, you should do something <laughs> about that. Her office was even chastised for, quote, levels of indifference, unquote, to defendants' constitutional rights and its failure to disclose information about a scandal in their crime lab's drug analysis unit that led to the dismissal of 700 cases. A technician had been skimming cocaine and tampering with evidence. Um, <laughs> so, so, like, you know, uh, she's also uh, corrupt in non-criminal justice issues as well, being tied to big tech. Like her, her brother-in-law is general counsel for Uber. Uh, I think her husband is a Silicon Valley guy. Um, on the list of uh, donors that are billionaires, she's one of the top ones right next to Biden. Um so, so, so to the issue of her identity, though, and this is maybe we can kind of connect her policy positions in her career to, to this, um, it's, it's a sad thing when pushing for equality means we simply want the oppressors to be a different gender and different race, right? Like we, we, we just want, right? And it's, it's that, you know, hire more female prison guards thing, right? Uh, it's, it's not truly socialist or even liberal or in any way liberatory or emancipatory to simply kind of like rearrange the chairs on the Titanic or whatever, you know, or to, to, to think that like, Hey, at least those rulers that are oppressing me look like me that I, not to totally dismiss that because it was very important when we had our first black president, it yeah. would, it, it is obviously so, so it is obviously symbolically important and that symbolism isn't without meaning, right? Like it, it can inspire uh, people, young people, especially to believe in, in, in what's possible, but it would be much more inspiring if like, the principles of actually fighting oppression that those marginalized groups suffer disproportionately, right. Was yeah. part of the principles and platforms and policies, especially, especially in a moment like we've had recently since really 2016, 2016. Um, and, and the success of the squad speaks to this when people of color actually can become very popular, right. Women of color specifically for, for being leftists. And I just think she has no interest in that. Or, or if she does, it's not enough of an interest to overcome her ambition, which served her well in this case, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it's maybe worth drilling down on, on that point specifically, uh, because 
The implication of of Beinart's argument is that white politicians will, uh, all things equal, always be better than black ones in terms of the policy outcomes. You know, symbolism, yes, that's important. But if like you're talking about money in pockets, like like who's getting regulated, who's getting, you know, uh, taxed, whatever, uh, you should always vote for the white politician because that'll be better. Um uh, you know, because black politicians, they just have to make compromises with the the terrible status quo. Um, and I think I just I just reject that uh, that premise, especially in, you know, the current moment. Um, you know, you you look at the people coming up, you know, you mentioned the squad. There's Jamal Bowman, uh, you know, in New York. There's Cory Bush in St. Louis. Black Lives Matter activist. Um, there, th- at the state level, there are a bunch of people, people of color, even some some white folks, you know, coming up from like working class backgrounds and so on, uh, and you know, sort of catering to a a a broadly egalitarian politics that is inclusive of 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 all people, white people included, um, and you know. If you were to say that, you know, for the sake of representation, we just have to endure, you know, another sort of Obama presidency. Uh, we, you know, we had a black man. Now we should have a black woman who will make all the same mistakes that Obama made. Uh, that, I think, is is a recipe for disaster, you know, because the the flip side of the symbolism, which is very powerful, I absolutely agree with that, is I, I think that uh, the Obama presidency really drove the right nuts like having a black man as president uh it it drove them around the bend um you know in a million ways you like the insanity of the tea party and you know it's just many people have said it's like oh when did my my parents became crazy fox news junkies and just conspiracy nuts it's somehow that happened around 2008 boy i wonder what it was Right. What could you it have Joe been? Wilson, Joe Wilson heckling yeah. the president during the State of the Union, right? Unprecedented. Um, the the governor of Arizona, that that racist uh, woman who like stuck her finger in in his face, you know, like an inch from his face when he was getting off the tarmac in Arizona. Yeah, uh, just just a, a huge kind of isomorphism between the, 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 the racism uh, endemic to the populace and in the leaders as well, right? Yeah, and the thing about the, the Obama, Obama administration trying to just like sort of preserve the Clinton, uh, you know, neoliberal status quo is that, you know, it, there is no counterbalancing class mobilization to try to dissolve some of that, like, like work against that race prejudice, you know, and... Because you have let the economic problems fester, uh, that makes the, you know, the the white grievance, I think it strengthens the white grievance, you know, like insofar as people, you have demagogues like Trump scapegoating, you know, black people and immigrants for all the problems. Um, that's what, uh, you know, letting, for example, 10 million people be forced out of their homes, which was a deliberate policy of the Obama administration, so that the mortgage losses would be borne by individuals instead of the banks. Um, that really fuels, you know, sort of the heron white nationalist politics. And so I think if you have, 
you know, if you have a black uh, president at this time, um, you know, they they should lean even heavier into, you know, a, a really egalitarian politics um, to, to, to counterbalance that, you know, those problems. Um, sure, because what it what it does is it strengthens the terrible material conditions that exacerbate not only racism and the, the disparate outcomes for, for marginalized groups, but also harms all people and then builds those, those resentments that you spoke of. And it also says, look, we had a black president. Why, why are you people still complaining? I'm suffering too. You, you know, you had your chance. What about my chance? Which yeah. is a terrible thing to, to terrible thing to think, but nonetheless, you know, it doesn't, um, doesn't do justice to the cause when, you know, if you say you're representing all people, but also especially, you know, you're a symbol uh, to inspire uh, people of color. Well, when you kind of deprive them like Obama's administration did of the most wealth that that people of color, that African-Americans especially had accumulated through home ownership, when you had a slush fund to actually help them out, you know, when you, when you don't address things like mass incarceration and then for, for uh, Kamala Harris, when you actually exacerbate the pain and suffering and harm communities of color in, the, in this way. Um, but then are exalted as like the, the, the kind of token candidate who, who is, uh, whose success, whose very appointment to the position is itself kind of a huge victory. Then you, you kind of erase all the actual structural problems that need to be addressed, uh, and further exacerbate those conditions that, that make those problems worse. So it, it, it's kind of like a fetishism that like masks all the real, concerns that could bring us all together because they're concerns of, of capitalism in a way that harms everyone, but also are at the root. Those capitalist problems are at the root of what actually causes structural systemic racism, you know, and is the real battle that needs to be fought that could liberate people of color. Yeah. So, so, so in like 10 different levels, it's operating to obfuscate and exacerbate and um, politically kind of neutralize a truly emancipatory anti-racist politics. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.